0: if you turn with me to that psalm, Psalm 46. Let's just read Psalm, psalm 46. Let's read God's Word. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea Though its waters roar and foam And the mountains quake with their surging There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God The holy place where the Most High dwells God is within her She will not fall God will help her at the break of day Nations are in uproar Kingdoms fall He lifts his voice The earth melts The Lord Almighty is with us Is our fortress. I think you would agree that we live in troubled times, whether it's political turmoil, politicians in deadlock over Brexit, unable to agree the way forward. Many, as a result, I guess, have become disillusioned uh, with politics. And then there's the threat of terrorism, isn't there? across the world and in our own cities whether it's manchester or london or sri lanka or new zealand people living fear of suicide bombers and mass shootings and then there's earthquakes tsunamis catastrophic catastrophic events uh, across the globe people fear to travel to certain countries uh, because they may be caught up in, in, in a disaster. Then, of course, there's climate change as well. And David Attenborough has highlighted this problem to us, hasn't he, on our television screens. And we've been told that the earth is, is, is approaching some sort of tipping point when things may not be able to be uh, retrieved. And we have these extinction rebellion protests. Uh, Brought London to a, a halt recently. It's natural for people to worry and to fear the times that we live in. But how, as Christian believers, should, should we respond to the days that we live in? How should we look upon these events? Well, it seems that Psalm 46 was written at a time of, of crisis, national or international. Natural or man-made, we can't be sure there's not enough detail to identify the actual events that have taken place. But in a sense, that's only important to us. What is is important is that we understand the message of the psalm. And I want us just to look at the psalm under three very simple headings this morning. I want us just to see God in the catastrophe... Then I want us to see see God in his city. And finally, God in conquest. So, catastrophe, city, conquest. First of all, looking at verses 1 to 3, we see God in the catastrophe. We look at verses 2 and 3 there, we seem to see uh, a catastrophe being described. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth Give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake quake with their surging. Understand the Middle East uh, is on one of those fault lines. Which means that it's very susceptible to earthquakes. In fact, there have been many earthquakes that have taken place. And some of them are recorded for us in the Bible. For example, if you look at the beginning of Amos. Chapter 1, verse 1. We see there an earthquake which took place in 750 BC. And one Christian geologist uh, has looked at the geological records and has sought to, to match them with the biblical accounts of earthquakes. And he seems to have done it quite successfully. Time of Sodom and Gomorrah, the fall of Jericho, the rout of the Philistines by Jonathan and his armor-bearers, he seems to have been able to match these events with with earthquakes in in the history of that uh, part of the world. And each of those events I've just mentioned were, to to one extent or another, acts of God's judgment. And consequently, natural catastrophes, uh, these events became associated with, with God's judgment. And when the prophets describe the day of the Lord, the day of God's great judgment, they tend to use catastrophic language to describe those events. In Isaiah chapter 2, and verse 21, we read, "...they will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags the fearful presence, from the fearful presence of the Lord." and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. And also, later on in Micah chapter 1, we read, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Catastrophic language to describe the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's judgment. Well, how are we to view these events in our day? When we see earthquakes happening, when we hear of tsunamis, how are we to consider them as acts of God's judgment? For example, was the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, was that an act of God's judgment on the United States of America? Or more recently, in 2004, when we had the Boxing Day tsunami, are we to see that as God's act of judgment on those those countries around the Pacific? Or that Japanese earthquake, which also called a tsunami in 2011, are we to see that as God's act of judgment on Japan? Are we right to 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 draw a direct link between an earthquake or a tsunami and God's act of judgment. The Bible helps us to understand the reason for these events. Just let us turn to Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, please, to a passage which perhaps you know quite well, Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Romans 8, verse 20, we read, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Then a bit later, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Paul describes there a creation that's groaning, That's frustrated right up to the present time. Why? Why is creation groaning? Well, we understand it's because of the sins of our first parents there back in Eden. Creation was subjected to a curse by God because of those sins of our first parents. And the cataclysmic events that we see happening, such as earthquakes and the like, they're extreme outworkings of the curse, the curse that is on the earth because of sin. They're not direct acts of judgment, but they are indirectly because they're the result of sin, the Bible tells us. But we see more closer to home, the daily outworkings of the curse in our own lives as well. In the garden, we're told, weeds, thorns and so on are examples of the curse. In our bodies, when we suffer illness, when we suffer pain, it's the outworking of the curse. In our relationships with one another and the tensions that occur and the heartbreaks, They're a result of the curse and in our own mortality. That each of us, sooner or later, will pass from this life. Our lives on this earth will come to an end. It's the outworking of the curse because of sin. How are we to respond? Well, let's move on to our next point. Because we've seen God in the catastrophe. I want us to see now God in his city. In verses 4 to 6. Let's just read those verses again to remind us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Again, what's been described here, we can't be sure then in verses 5 to 6. It seems to be trouble, but trouble now closer to home. It seems that Jerusalem may be under attack, may be under siege. The enemies of God's people are on the doorstep. And they're bent on destruction of God's people. We can identify a number of times when that happened in the history of Israel. We've got Sennacherib. Uh, And the Assyrians laying siege of Jerusalem back in 701 BC. We've got the Babylonian siege in 597 BC. And on many occasions throughout the history of Israel. In fact, if you read something of the history of of Jerusalem, uh, it says this, During its long history, Jerusalem has been destroyed at least twice, besieged 23 times, Captured and recaptured 44 times, and attacked 52 times. That's uh, the history of this, this great city. And built on a, a steep hill, Jerusalem made a formidable fortress. But where was the psalmist's confidence? Was it in the city and its location and as its, its defences? No, his confidence not there, is he? His confidence is in the presence of the Lord God in the city. God will is within her, he says in verse 5. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Jerusalem was the place of the Lord's temple, the place of the Lord's presence. And it was because the Lord was there that she would not fall. The Lord Almighty would be her help, would be a strength. And that's where the psalmist's confidence is. And we come to the main theme of the psalm, that God is our strength, our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And it's a truth which is repeated again in the refrain of the psalm there in verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us, The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's repeated again if we didn't understand it the first time in verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's where the confidence of God's people is. And that's where our confidence must be as well, in the presence of the Lord. And the writer to the Hebrews takes up this theme, this image of Jerusalem. And he describes the situation of of God's people now. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, would you please? Hebrews 12 and verse 22. We read there Hebrews 12 verse 22. But you, speaking to believers, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made Perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see what the writer is saying there? Do you notice the tense in which he says it? He doesn't say, You will come, he says, You have come. As a believer, this is the truth about you now. You're a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You're a member of that joyful assembly that's gathered around his throne now. You're in the presence of God and of Jesus. This is the spiritual reality for you if you're a believer now. Not something... To look forward to in the future, although we will, it will become a physical reality in the future for us. But the truth, it's just as much true now in the spiritual realm. It's something for us to rejoice in. It's something for us to take comfort in in these days of, of trouble that we live in. That we are there in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the presence of our great God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live in days, don't we, in our own country when we are under siege, when Bible believing Christians are under siege, where to speak the truth of the Bible can lead us into trouble with the authorities, can lead us to the courts where we've been charged. And perhaps it's not too distant in the future when, as Christians, we're going to find ourselves not only in courts but in prison for what we believe, for speaking Bible truth. We are becoming aliens in a foreign land, I guess we could say. And that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, as we've seen in other countries, it's normal. We could say what we've experienced as Christians in this country in the last 300 years is is not normal. Jesus said, people will hate you because of me. But we're aliens because we are citizens of a different land, a different city. And because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ... Because we dwell in Christ and he dwells in us. And therefore we can know joy, we can know security, we can be comforted even in the trouble. And of course we look forward to a better day, don't we? A day of hope, a day of expectation. And that's what the final section of this psalm looks forward to as well. It looks beyond the current trouble. To God in conquest, verses eight to ten. Let's remind ourselves what those what the verses said there. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold. Come and behold. What are we to behold? We're to behold the desolations that he has brought on the earth. That might sound very strange. What does he mean? Well, I think he's referring to God's great acts of judgment and deliverance in the past. Judgment and deliverance in the Bible go hand in hand. Judgment and salvation, they're like two sides of the same coin. Often we see it throughout Bible history. Think of the time of Noah, you have God's judgment, but you also have salvation there in in that family, in the ark. And the time of the Israelites, when God brought them out of Egypt, we have judgment there, but we also have salvation, we have deliverance of God's people. These two things go side and side. And from our viewpoint in in history, we can see an even greater work of salvation. There at the cross of our Lord Jesus, we see judgment and we see salvation sitting side by side. And why? Why must we behold these these acts of, of judgment and deliverance? Because they should fill us with confidence that God will do the same in the future. God has not changed. His strength has not diminished. His love for his people is still as strong as ever. He will deliver through judgment. And that's what the psalmist looks forward to. A time when wars will cease across the earth. When the tools of war will be used for peaceful purposes. When trouble will end and God's people will live in peace forever. When will that great day be? Well, it will be when the Lord returns as conqueror. When all his enemies will be disarmed and silenced forever. And we look forward, don't we, as God's people to that day in the future with great expectation. And he commands the nations to be still and know that he is God. Some of you may know a chorus based on those words. We tend to sing it gently and softly, don't we? However, these words were hardly uttered gently and softly because they're a rebuke, a rebuke to a turbulent world. Perhaps we should think to the time when Our Lord and his disciples were traveling across Galilee. And that furious storm comes up. And the waves are so great that they nearly swamp the boat. And these experienced fishermen are terrified. Jesus, where is he? Well, he's sleeping at the back of the boat. The fishermen are so afraid they go and wake Jesus up and they say, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we if we drown? Does Jesus do? He stands up and he shouts, Quiet, be still. And we're told that the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now God is shouting, Be still to a turbulent world. Cease your rebellion. Submit to the rule of King Jesus. And just as Jesus' command there on Galilee calmed the storm, so one day this world will be calm and there will be peace, peace forever. And the final end, well we're told in verse 10, the final end will be the glory of God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth when we consider our troubles, when we see our enemies, it's possible to feel overwhelmed, a bit like those disciples in that boat when they they see the storm. What hope have we against such foes? What hope is, is our small fellowship here? Well, from this psalm, we see that if Christ is in the boat, as it were. We need not fear the storm. He is our refuge and our strength. Because of his presence with us, we can know joy, we can know security, even in the midst of the troubles. And we can look forward to that final day of conquest, of peace. But what about now? what must me be doing now? Well, in these verses, we also see something of the church's mission as well. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Our message now is that to the world, to be still, to submit to King Jesus, to end your rebellion against him, to know Christ as your Lord and King. And to exalt God amongst the nations. We take that triumphant message, the message of the gospel, to the ends of the earth. And we can begin here with our neighbours and our friends by sharing the joyful message of the gospel with them. Submit to Jesus while you have time. That's our task. That's our task now. We're not to sit idly waiting for Christ to return. We're to be active in mission, his mission. And we're to do do it in the confidence that God will be exalted among the nations. May the Lord help us to do that. Amen.